passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind a Dynamite, an hour-plus show covering AEW Dynamite and a whole lot more in the world of wrestling. My name is Waiting, of course, and I am joined once again for one more week by Bruce Lord. Bruce, how are you doing? I'm doing lovely. It's been a jam-packed day, obviously, as far as wrestling news goes, uh, both uh, exciting and uh obviously somewhat saddening. Uh, but yeah, doing fine. Uh, a jam-packed episode of Dynamite that I'm really excited to talk with you about. Winter is coming and winter is here, but as you alluded to, uh, some unfortunate news to start off the wrestling day. And here to talk about it with us is Andrew Thompson. Andrew Thompson, how are you doing? Bruce and Wade, what's going on, fellas? Glad to be back. Welcome back. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. As, of course, as you mentioned, uh, some very unfortunate news to start off the day. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer and the inaugural uh, WWF Intercontinental Champion, uh, Pat Patterson, passed away at the age of 79. Uh, you know, as we all saw, a bunch of names, man, countless names in, in the wrestling business. And, and, and fans alike uh, came to share their thoughts and about the career and the passing of uh, Pat Patterson and what he, what he meant to them. You know, of course, he's like credited. They credit him for the, uh, you know, the creation of the Royal Rumble. And many wrestlers came out and publicly said that their careers probably wouldn't have been what it was had it not been for Pat being in their ear and giving them guidance and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then, of course, you know, one of the major things about Pat is, uh, you know, him being um, openly gay during a period of time when, you know, uh, basically like the, the quote unquote traditional sexuality preference was greatly looked down upon during that era when he was at the you know, the, the, the peak of his in-ring career or near, near that time period. So, you know, big, big ups to Pat for, you know, making that jump. And, of course, yeah, I think he officially uh, revealed that information um, on the Legends House show uh, some, some years back. So, yeah, Bruce, and what are your thoughts about the career and uh, the life of Pat Patterson? Um, I mean, just like I think a lot of people my age, uh, I mostly came to initially know him sort of, you know, in the Stooge persona alongside uh, Gerald Briscoe. Um, but then, you know, when I was able to, I kind of went, went back and watched some of the tail end uh, of his in-ring career, you know, that, that was available through the WWE, uh, in, you know, in particular, the, I think the, you know, 1981 alley fight in MSG with Slaughter, that super bloody fight uh, is, is something a lot of people will remember. Uh, and then, you know, of course, later on, you come to understand, oh, wait, this is actually someone who has played a major role in, you know, booking and producing a whole lot of the matches, obviously the Royal Rumble and everything. Um you know, that I've been watching for all these years. And, you know, obviously that sort of story is always going to be a bit less uh, obvious or a bit, 
you know, all of the details of what he did and didn't have a hand in are, you know, going to be a, a bit less difficult to figure out. But, you know, obviously from all of the tributes um, that, that poured in online, the tribute that we, you know, kind of uh, got in Dynamite even here, uh, you know, you really get the sense that, um, you know, he was maybe sort of like, you know, the, the, the good angel on Vince McMahon's shoulder when it came to booking uh, and that a lot of people had a lot of respect for his ideas uh, with regards to the creative directions of wrestling. I thought that that's really well said, Bruce. Um, certainly, like that's sort of the image I've I've always had of Pat Patterson, and um, I I certainly am among the audience that really would not have been around to witness any part of his you know in ring career. Uh, but just being able able to read up, I think what I've been able to like today, it seemed like he had quite the you know quite the run throughout the entire world, but particularly in San Francisco uh, for big time wrestling and uh perhaps you know that whole aspect of his life is kind of lost in the shuffle because he made such a name for himself backstage doing so many other things uh beyond you know his entering career so i i kind of look forward to seeing more tributes and maybe more of these write-ups in the coming days just to shed a bit more light on that aspect of his life but certainly um his impact on the WWE, the WWF as an entity from 1979 onwards. I mean, the amount of names that he's had an influence on in the creation, uh, in in the you know mentoring of, and really just the building of the company as a whole. Uh, it really, I don't think you can overstate it. Um, it's 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 in, it, 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 he's been there for everything, uh, and so you see the number of names that have kind of spoken up to him. Uh, about him today i mean rick flair the rock bret hart all the way down to you know tonight on AEW dynamite with john moxley everybody seemingly having a wonderful um i think you know things to say about about this human being which again sometimes is a bit of a rarity in our industry so um you know something that doesn't get mentioned too often too the fact that he's a, a canadian a very prominent canadian <laughs> figure in combat sports which is of course relevant to you and i bruce uh but you know, some, something that almost kind of gets lost in the shuffle among many other kind of firsts that this man represents. So it's a big loss. Yeah, big loss for sure. Uh, so yeah, rest in peace to Pat Patterson. And, uh, you know, kind of continuing on the WWE front, but more on a positive note, um, WWE revealed their newest performance center class that consisted of some very, some, some, some very, some very notable names, man. We have Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz of the Rascals, formerly of Impact Wrestling. Alex Zane joined, uh, Jiro Ikame, uh, from, from Wrestle One and All Japan joined. Uh, we have Arielle Howard. She, she was a former WNBA player, uh, almost six feet tall, I, I believe she is. Um, she got drafted by the Seattle Storm um, and played college ball at Mississippi State and Texas A and M. And then we also have Russ Taylor uh, rounding out the class, rounding out the class. Um, you know, you know, just you guys like who do you like out of, out of these names? Like who do you think kind of stands out the most, and who do you think will make the most impact? Because uh, I, I mean, I, I think people are automatically looking at you know Devs and Alex Zane to be may, maybe the big impact players coming out of this. But I, I, I think they, I think uh, you know. WWE, they might have something special with Aunt, Aunt Rio Howard. Like, I think, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I just feel like she got the look. And, you know, I, I think the athleticism is going to come naturally seeing as her athletic background. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what she's going to do. But, yeah, I'm, I'm also excited to see uh, Alex Zane seeing as how he got the size and, you know, mm-hmm. Desmond Xavier, you know, having his skill set. And it's going to be interesting. I think another uh, point that a lot of people was uh, mentioning was where's Trey McGill. Um, mm-hmm. and just to th- just to th- just to throw it out there, uh, Trey McGill, uh, Trey Trey McGill and Zach, they both did interviews 
on Tommy Dreamer's podcast and Zach said, and then they both said the same thing. They both said that they were going to Florida and, you know, Zach and Dez are in Orlando. So, you know, I, I, I leave that information up to for everybody to dissect as far as hmm. what Trey is going to do. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I certainly have uh, a lot of high hopes for the Rascals, at least two thirds of the Rascals showing up in NXT. Uh, interesting that, um, that little tidbit you added at the end there, but, um, I expect them to do really well in NXT beyond NXT. I think is anybody's <laughs> guess, you know, that is the big question. I imagine they might be sticking together as a team. Um, it seems like they've already obviously built quite the rapport and reputation for themselves. I think you at least start them off in NXT. I'm really not as familiar with, uh, you know, uh, Ariel Howard, um, but at least looking at her stature, um, clearly already somebody who I think you could see being positioned in a big role in, in a company that values, you know, larger athletes. Uh, like yourself, Andrew, I've really enjoyed, you know, seeing Zane pop up here and there in various uh, independent promotions. Uh, yeah, he, he has a good amount of size, uh, and I think he could definitely uh, certainly hang with, you know, kind of, you know, the, the upper tier talent at NXT. But yeah, like like yourself, Way, I've kind of long kind of punted on actually predicting uh, main roster careers uh, for, <laughs> for anybody who's, who's coming into these classes. I think uh, if I'm if I'm looking at your poster correctly, Andrew, uh, I mean, I know we already knew that he was coming in, but that Russ Taylor was also formally announced as part of this class as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Russ Taylor's in there. Oh, you had anything to add to that? Oh no no no! Just you know, just just wanted to get his name out there as a you know again somebody that uh, you know we all saw a little bit of uh, on AEW a little while ago. Oh yeah, uh, and, okay. and then you know people have kind of again if we're talking about you know people's um, pe- people who kind of have options with you know now multiple companies and, and where they end up going mm. and what what that sort of is saying about you know what what, what sort of priorities or what sort of hopes or dreams they might have. Mm. You, you you want to know something you kind of just mentioned like so I, like what do you guys think about like kind of I mean I, I, obviously you know and we we kind of seen uh this kind of similar thing with 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 Benjamin Carter although it has I don't think WWE officially confirmed that he's with them yet but uh like when when you see these talents on AEW Dark and they're appearing there and I mean obviously WWE is probably somebody from WWE is taking a look and AEW isn't snatching these guys up per se but. WWE is like what, what do you guys kind of think about that little that little medium right there as far as like you know AEW kind of being like a, a kind of a scouting place for WWE to kind of kind of come look at guys if AEW doesn't pick them up I mean I, I feel like we we have to imagine almost anybody that's really available and that's of you know any potential is probably being scouted already by the two companies whether or not yeah. they, they already make their appearance <laughs> on dark i can't really say in particular like what the ben carter issue was i think certainly when you're you know public facing the fact that ben carter headlined you know a pretty prominent edition of their uh late night dynamite and then ended up you know getting signing with the other company that makes it look like wwe stole them from but who's to say like they weren't interested in the rascals you know who's to say they right. were interested in alex zane um i just think everybody is still like very much in demand if you're any good. And as much as, you know, we can sit here and sort of say, oh, well, you know, will this team get a chance to shine with this company? Will this team be wasted, you know, in, in this particular entity? This, you know, having more options like this and having these sorts of bidding wars is good for the actual talent, right? It means that they're able to, you know, maybe negotiate, uh, you know, better deals for themselves. And, that, and that's always nice to see. 
And, and, and Bruce, last time, uh, tra- kind of trans- yeah, transition over to the, the next new topic, Bruce, last time uh, I was on here, I remember me and you talked about the NWA Shockwave. I mean, you and Wade talked about the <laughs> NWA Shockwave show. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, NW- well, the uh, United Wrestling Network, they announced that they're suspending their weekly pay-per-view series uh, due to COVID and, you know, just the state of California. They don't know what's going on in the near future. So they're not going to be running any live pay-per-views until 2021. Uh, they ran out of Thunder Studios, I believe, in California. Um, just what do you make of this whole situation? And then seeing the Shockwave series, it was just tape matches that were held at Thunder Studios that have already aired on um, on, on the United Wrestling Network's weekly series. Is that is am I correct? And I didn't yeah. get a chance to, yeah. Yeah, no, all three of the matches that appeared on Shockwave appeared on the very first of the primetime live shows, <laughs> um, you know, which I, you know, again, like I was saying last week, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, the NWA is kind of down on their luck. Sure, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll gamble 25 bucks or whatever it is uh, on these shows. And yeah, you know, there was a couple of okay matches in there, but, you know, it was what it was. So I did feel like a bit of a sap sitting down last night, like, oh, half an hour to watch this Shockwave thing, sure. And just having this sense of deja vu the whole way through, Uh Yeah, I mean, I sort of understand why you might want to uh, put a match like uh, the Mike Bennett, uh, Nick Aldis uh, title defense that that uh, that that headlined that uh, show there. I can understand wanting to put that up on YouTube. It's a big, you know, Bennett's, you know, obviously a name and uh, it's a title defense of of your main belt and everything like that. But the fact that the other two matches were also just like, right, I've I've seen this one. I've seen this one as well. I don't. uh, Yeah, I felt like a bit of a sap. It you know like I I always thought that maybe having shockwave like the idea of airing a pay, past pay per view match on you know a free platform to me like kind of makes sense if your idea is to push people to the pay per view by giving them a preview essentially but um I I have to imagine the plan wasn't always to suspend you know operations while on the same week debuting your free product um so this little bit of synergy I, I wonder how it's going to work if if the mm-hmm. lockdown continues. Yeah, because I, I, of course, I, and I don't want to misquote them, but I remember they saying that these were going to be like never before seen mm-hmm. matches, uh, something along those lines, and then it ended up being matches that everybody has seen. If you, I mean, if you just checked out the United Wrestling Network's Twitter, you could, you could you never could see before this seen for oh, free, you, for free. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> on this platform oh, on oh, YouTube, oh, yeah. Right, right. But I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they kind of bounce back from this thing because I mean, there's no telling when there might be a, a, a vaccine for, for COVID-19 or with like when, when it will be like a, even 90% safe to completely run uh, at, at the capacity that it once was again. So it's going to be inter- interesting for the NWA and for the United Wrestling Network. And, and lastly here, man, like it, it's so much wrestling going on, man. It's so so many big things happening, of course, as you guys are going to dive into a dynamite. Uh, Sting, Sting big, Sting's big debut, man. And, of course, the AEW world title change uh, that happened on Dynamite. And but a pay per view that's actually coming up in about two weeks, um, and and it, it kind of seems like there's not really like that much buzz behind it, and and it's 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 kind of it's kind of weird, man, considering that uh, this is their biggest uh, pay per view of their calendar year, that being Ring of Honor's final battle uh, that's happening on December 18th, um, and of course, like I mentioned, this is always built as Ring of Honor's biggest pay per view of the year, and they've already announced uh, Jay Briscoe versus EC3 and and Brody King challenging Roosh for the ROH world title. Um, Roosh hasn't wrestled for, for Ring of Honor since February uh, when he captured the title um, in a three-way. Um, j- j- just like knowing how much f- attention is like j- j- just on professional wrestling right now and like just kind of like the lack of it that's 
on Ring of Honor, I think is the right the right way to phrase it. Like, I, like are you are you guys kind of like interested in what, in what they got going? To? Like, I'm I'm interested in the in ring portion, but I mean, as far as like the hype for it, it, it doesn't feel like a you know like something. I'm like, oh, I, I got to make sure I got to see this. I can't miss this. I I can't really say it's there for me. I mean, it's sort of a a bit bit of an island right now uh what's going on in roh um i heard a lot of great things about the pure title tournament checked out some of it myself um i i can't really say that it's kind of springboarded any sort of long-term sustained interest for me though but i mean if it's a if it's a show that's a big show that's like you know happening one one time every few months i definitely will at least have some interest in it especially if there are any big surprises big announcements or Great matches, like great matches at this point, I think will always like peak interest. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who watched the entirety of the Pure uh, tournament and really, really enjoyed it, um, yeah, there wasn't, I don't know what it was, but there wasn't really any sort of uh, hook or tie-in on those episodes focusing in on that tournament, at least for me. Uh, to kind of keep up with it once that tournament had concluded. Um, so, you know, I mean, seeing Roosh, obviously, uh, that, that you know, he's a phenomenal and super exciting talent. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm you know, keen to see uh, how he actually, you know, has now what has kind of been a, a protracted or a delayed uh, title run. So that could be really interesting in terms of some of the pairings there. But yeah, besides that, uh, whether it's just due to, you know, some of the talent involved or, I mean, and also, I mean, I feel terrible saying this because the fact that ROH acted in, to my mind, a super responsible way, right. by really shutting things down for a lengthy period of time, not laying people off, continuing to pay their, you know, staff and everything like that is, that's so commendable, you know, that's, that's a really rare and difficult thing in this industry during the, the whole lockdown. And they deserve a lot of credits and plaudits for that. And it's a horrible thing to say, but has that come at the cost of them, you know, just kind of succumbing to inertia and just not really having any any momentum or interest behind them right now. And that sucks. That's not fair and that's not right. But it might be the problem that they're facing. Yeah. So would you guys say that the that as far as the hype for final battle and like like I agree with you, Bruce, I think the Puritano tournament was great. Like that was just a slew of just like great in-ring action right there. And I enjoyed uh for the joy the most of what I've seen of it. But like do you guys think that the, the 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 media coverage could have been better as far as like wrestling media as far as like the hype for final battle do you think ring of honor could have done a better job promotional wise as far as like really hyping this thing up like uh, opposed to the you know and i'm pretty sure they are hyping it up internally and you know publicly from from what i've seen but like is like do you guys think that the, the, the their promotion has been like something that has really garnered your attention or is like it's just like oh they have a pay-per-view on the 18th it's um it's hard for me to think about like what they could have possibly done to right. elicit more interest beyond, you know, getting bigger names or uh man, honestly, I don't know if they could do anything beyond getting bigger names um to to join the tournament or or bigger surprises. Um I feel like a lot of the wrestling landscape is already like having a difficult time. I mean, getting people to pay attention to the established companies uh at times. So uh, I, for to me, it's like people have their kind of like set routine of watching an AEW every single week, uh, maybe an NXT, maybe occasionally Raw and SmackDown, maybe occasionally the New Japan Pro Wrestling, and then there's everything below that, you know. And uh, Ring of Honor right now exists below, in that space. Impact exists in that space. Uh, you know, this NWA might exist in that space. MLW might mm. exist in that space. So it's like 
it, it, it's it, it's it's really for, for me difficult to imagine like you know beyond like the big surprise like how somebody like an like an roh can garner that extra bit of attention mm. that's yeah, not that... even touching on the fact that triple mania is in a what is that like oh, four days goodness. or five days or something like that apparently we apparently we can watch it on facebook for free so i might be doing that if i have the time man bruce i'm telling you like if, if you, if you would have never said like a pull i'm pretty sure i probably would have came up on it in a news cycle but like that completely slipped my mind until you just said <laughs> something about it goodness gracious that is this weekend Man, but but yeah, that's that's gonna wrap it up uh, for the news segment uh, this week, fellas. Andrew Thompson, uh, you've been doing a great job in these segments uh, over the past uh, two weeks, and uh, we certainly will like try to think of ways of continuing these. I think the audience has definitely enjoyed hearing more from you. So, uh, if they want to continue to read your work and maybe see your interviews and you know experience the full Andrew Thompson underscore <laughs> underscore uh, life, how can they do that? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thompson. I say Andrew too. AD Thompson underscore underscore. Uh, you check me out on YouTube at Andrew Thompson Interviews. You check out all my written work over at the Post Wrestling site. Very, very busy man. Uh, a, a ton of articles out there just today on a very busy news day. So great work, Andrew. Uh, we'll hopefully hear from you very soon. No doubt. All right, peace, Wayne, Wayne Bruce. Good talking to you, Andrew. Okay, Bruce, uh, before we continue, just a bit of a, an update on the schedule. Uh, for, so many of you may have already seen on the feed right now, if you just scroll right below this particular episode, John Pollock returned on Tuesday and he delivered a fantastic interview with Dave Meltzer talking about Wrestling Observer's yearbook 1997, a, a whole 40-something minute conversation about the year 1997, the last time WWE was number two. And uh, just to be able to hear like you know these two speak together to me was a real treat and i think uh, much of the audience agrees so uh, you can listen to that right now for free on the feed uh, up next our friends will have a show right now uh probably on their feed you can also watch them now at twitch.tv slash up next podcast they will be live on sunday for their takeover war games watch along and post show so it's a big weekend for those guys check out their patreon at patreon.com slash up next uh we also have Rewind Smackdown Live on Friday for all patrons. You can listen to it in archive, or you can join us live at 10.15 p.m. A Zoom link is sent to all patrons the night of. I will be joined and reunited by the king himself, John Pollock, making his return to the airwaves. I have not spoken to this man. I have not his, heard his voice in my ears talking to him live since, for how long? Um... Several weeks, several weeks, Bruce. Like, well, you 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 joined us three weeks ago, uh, four weeks ago, I think. Yeah, four weeks ago. I mean, I guess he he might have like returned, you know, for like a brief time there. But I mean, it was a better part of the month, and I've missed my friend. So I'm sure you all have too. So he'll be joining us live right on Zoom. You got to be ready for this way. He's now coming at you with double dad joke strength. Whatever dad joke powers he possessed in the past have now doubled with the new arrival. So you're you're going to be getting it with both barrels. Double dad joke strength. I can't I can't envision. You know, <laughs> one one could argue he's always been well equipped with the dad jokes, uh, even before having children. So we shall see what uh, double father, uh, two, being a father of two children has how that's changed John Pollock. I imagine it it, it involves getting very little sleep. <laughs> on Sunday, uh, WH Park returns with the long and winding Royal Road, and as we mentioned, Takeover War Games post show on the Up Next feed Sunday night. So that's this week at Post Wrestling. AEW Dynamite Winter is coming. 
Bruce Lord, what was your excitement level for this show? Pretty darn high. I mean, like we said last week, um, obviously, you know, 99% of the focus was on the Moxley Omega match. And I felt as though, you know, that they had done a pretty good job of not only promoting the, the fight itself, but sort of establishing the stakes above and beyond the championship, or at least in terms of what the championship meant to both of the competitors uh, and the the idea of them sort of being at each of them sort of at a crossroads, right? You know, Moxley having to sort of uh, kind of take the reins as being the kind of the, the public sort of champion and not just fighting on his own, but fighting for, you know, all the fans out there uh, and Omega consistently having uh, to sort of, adopt a more kind of cocky and pompous persona to counter this uh, theory that was expressed on the commentary today that, oh, you know, he hasn't lived up to the potential. So heading into it, I thought, you know, it really had all of the makings of a fantastic match going into it. And as we were sort of speaking about last week, you know, they did a decent job of, you know, promoting and setting up the the undercard matches, especially the tag match. Yeah, much of the storylines that you kind of mentioned in that story, in that little kind of description was emphasized i would say in their uh, winter is coming road to special that they put up on their on their website so AEW really treating this show like it was a pay-per-view and uh tony khan even did a media call prior to it promoting it as if it was that level of show uh talking about how he was actually laying this one out like it was a pay-per-view so ending with the main event mm-hmm. and in some ways i guess replicating some of their other pay-per-view events by beginning with the battle royal we should also note that tonight, truly winter arrived in Jacksonville. It was 47 degrees Fahrenheit at last time I checked, which means 8 degrees Celsius to, to you and I, Bruce. Um, I can't really imagine like stepping out without a long sleeve shirt, at least, like in this type of weather, much less going out. Essentially, like what these, these guys are like going out for a run in their underwear, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is what wrestlers pretty much do. So we, we saw some portable heaters in the ringside area. Uh, this was also talked about by like Kenny Omega in recent interviews as well, just how, you know, you go from kind of wrestling in really hot temperatures in Jacksonville to all of a sudden now in really cold temperatures. So, uh, did you, would you have noticed at all if, if perhaps it was not mentioned, Bruce? I don't know that I would have in terms of the, you know, the performance of, of anyone. I mean, I imagine that has to be murder on your, your breathing and your, and your cardio and everything, you know, the odd time when, you know, you do take a jog, you know, outside when it is snowing or whatever it is, it's not fun. Uh, I didn't detect any, you know, drop in quality or speed from anybody that I could pick up on. Uh, so, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, the, uh, the announcers kept reminding you of it, we had literal, like, you know, fake snow blowing during one segment. We were constantly cutting out to the crowd wearing, you know, kind of big jackets and toques and everything like that. Yes. Toques people uh you know uh yeah i don't think it really uh, ended up affecting the the in-ring product in any way the show was also featuring a title sponsor in state farm so um you know promoting the show again very much like a pay-per-view uh I, at least attracting the attention of one notable uh advertiser so we start off with the diamond battle royal and to remind everybody the final two wrestlers go on to compete for the dynamite diamond ring next week so it's not a single person you know uh, uh staying here to to win it is the final two so with this being a battle royal of course jim ross making several references to his friend pat patterson creator of the royal rumble throughout the match i kind of tuned in a little bit late so if i missed anything off the first couple minutes please remind me but i tuned in when adam page made an elimination as the dark order started to celebrate with him is there anything prior to that 
Um, let me see. I mean, the, the, the one thing that was kind of interesting from a visual standpoint was that everybody started out outside of the ring. The, like, the show starts with everybody standing just at ringside, divided on the you know the heel and face sides that they've established with the the, the other wrestlers who were in the crowd, and then jumping in to begin. Uh, the actual match. Um, you know, we had an, uh, an insert promo from MJF talking about, you know, going for the repeat, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, kind of cementing, you know, Sammy and Wardlow were in there with him and sort of, you know, pointing towards the fact that, you know, having three inner circle members in here, um, you know, w- was going to really push things and, and establish that. Uh, we had a lot of heel work from Matt Hardy, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, he eliminated uh, Isaiah Cassidy, sort of kind of, I think, pointing towards this idea that Matt Hardy is now kind of the, the irritating older wrestler who is beginning to piss off and disillusion all of the younger wrestlers who grew up idolizing him. And now they're just like, man, this guy's kind of actually a prick. Uh, so, so there was that there. Um, did you see the whole uh, Dark Order saving Hangman bit? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So I think that's where I picked up. Man, it sounds like I missed a whole lot in like two minutes here, tuning in late. So it, it was moving that. fast. There was also um, a bunch of stuff with Spears and Sky and all all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So Sean, uh, Sean Spears eliminated is eliminated by Scorpio Sky. So uh, ringside, Tully gives Spears the slug. He attacks Sky from the outside, which ends up causing Sky's elimination. Uh, we have Mark, uh, Matt Hardy, and Mark Quinn causing John Silver's elimination. And, you know, it's certainly a, no- a bit more noticeable tonight, the crowd being a bit of a larger pay-per-view size crowd of 1,000, uh, certainly more audible than usual live editions of Dynamite, because you could actually hear the crowd booing Matt Hardy for eliminating John Silver. So mm-hmm. uh, we are again reminded that Mar- Matt Hardy is now being treated as a heel. Matt Hardy even eliminates Hangman Page, so a lot more heat on that. Orange Cassidy is sent to the floor under the bottom rope. Uh, he ends up getting attacked, so he kind of stays outside of the ring for a bit. Miro now plays the monster role, getting the spotlight, laying several smaller men out, including Lee Johnson, Mark Quinn, Matt Hardy, and Joy Janela. The inner circles, MJF, Wardlow, and Guerrero triple team uh, join to uh, attack Miro. Miro basically explodes, leaving them uh, uh, to the side, but leaving Wardlow standing face to face with him in a nice little moment between the two big men. Miro ultimately, though, is eliminated by the inner circle. Our final four, or so we thought, was Jungle Boy versus the three members of the inner circle. Yet an awesome little sequence between Jungle Boy and Sammy on the apron. The both of them fight up to the top rope, but MJF ends up pushing both of them out, including his teammate Sammy Guevara, which gets Sammy to complain about him afterwards. MJF thinks he and Wardlow have won the battle royal, but Wardlow informs him that Orange Cassidy is still outside. So Cassidy comes in, ends up shoving Wardlow into MJF, nearly causing MJF's elimination. Orange punches both men with orange punches, and Orange Cassidy eliminates Wardlow, leaving Orange Cassidy versus MJF next week for the diamond ring. This was a match or a, a battle royal rather that I think kind of set the pace not only for the speed of the show, but just how much storyline advancement you were going to get for pretty much every character uh, on the <laughs> roster. Everybody got a little bit of something here, which made it, you know, like in terms of, you know, you that's kind of what you want in a battle royal, right? Is it fast moving? Is it entertaining? Does it advance stories? And yes, this absolutely did that. It made trying to take notes on it an absolute nightmare. I can say that much. Um, I kind of, to be honest, I'd forgotten uh, that this was going to end, you know, with two men winning the battle royal and then facing off next week. I kind of feel like I, I know that, but I 
kind of forgot it midway through. I kind of felt like the, uh, the, the announcers could have underscored that a bit more. I like the idea. I mean, obviously, you know, a, an element like this diamond ring kind of points towards a, a heel holding it, right? Somebody like MJF, who's, you know, getting people to kiss it and bragging about it and showing it off. There is part of me that likes the idea of Cassidy winning it and then just completely no-selling it, just like forgetting to bring it anywhere, leaving it on his bedside table, like letting his like nieces and nephews play with it or something like that, and, and just denigrating the legacy of it. I don't know. I like the matchup that they set up for next week. You know, you have your hottest mid-tier babyface going against arguably your hottest mid-tier, lower upper-tier uh, heel who also happens to be last year's winner. So it's... I agree that, like, MJF, I think, has done pretty well with the Diamond Ring gimmick over the past year. Uh, it's a gimmick that's well-established with a heel. I don't know how much value you're going to get out of Orange Cassidy holding it. Uh, so I almost wish that they would keep it on MJF if there are no other better options. Um, I think, it, yeah, it, it makes more sense logically there. And I think that could also be an interesting element in continuing to, to push inner circle drama. So, yeah. As you mentioned, uh, everybody getting a lot of advancement here, too. Miro, I thought, came across like the monster he should be here, getting that big man Royal Rumble spot. You are also, of course, reminded of the Sky Spears program, which seems to be going on forever. Uh, The MJF Sammy program, which they continue to develop later on in the show. And also adding a bit more fuel to Paige's flirtation with the Dark Order. So uh, a lot, a lot achieved here with this battle royal. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, Miro comes back out. He's upset at Orange Cassidy. The announcers uh, do put him over as the most don- dominant man in the battle ro- royal. So we've got uh, Miro kind of in play here with the Orange Cassidy feud as well. Frankie's Kazarian versus Chris Jericho, I believe they said for the first time in their careers. They fight on the floor early on as Jake Hager and Ortiz distract, allowing Chris Jericho to take control throughout the break. The crowd is chanting, Jericho, Jericho. And I've almost like at this point forgotten the sounds of like, dissenting crowds cheering for heels instead of baby faces mm. so in a way it was kind of like nice and refreshing <laughs> jericho goes for a line salt but kaz gets his knees up kaz hits a springboard leg drop for two kaz goes for his standing spanish fly which he calls this flux capacitor hitting it from the top rope for two a uh, very spectacular move i thought from both men at this stage in their careers mm-hmm. kaz applies his own walls of jericho as ortiz threatens to attack with his loaded sock Hager is ringside telling him, no, don't DQ Chris Jericho. So out come Wardlow and MJF. MJF holding a white towel, looking very concerned. He's about to throw in the towel to save Chris Jericho. Sammy comes out to pulling the towel away from MJF, warning him not to throw the towel in and cause Jericho the loss. Jericho ends up making it to the ropes, and we get several pin attempts by Kaz, who then walks right into the Judas effect for the win from Chris Jericho. Uh, but ultimately leading to continued dissension between the inner circle as after the match, while MJF tries to celebrate with Chris Jericho as if he believed in him all along, MJF shoves him and they all brawl. Chris Jericho grabs the mic. He says he's had enough of this bullshit. Next week on Dynamite, there will be an inner circle ultimatum. Either the inner circle works as a team or they break up forever. What do you think of the match? Um, leaving aside the IC stuff, I really enjoyed the match itself. I think we kind of got our, our whistles wetted for this last week with that uh, really excellent uh, IC versus SCU tag match. And the story that I was sort of taking from this one was that, you know, here's this kind of, you know, veteran in Kazarian having to use this combination of like guile and just sort of explosive strength 
to sort of, you know, kind of stick and weave and evade all of the members of the inner circle, uh, kind of, you know, circling him like sharks and kind of keep pressure up on Jericho with a pretty fast pace uh, of, of wrestling, right? You know, you had him running for backslides, these quick springboard leg drops. Um, yeah, you know, the flux capacitor, you know, some pretty kind of like, kind of har- almost hearkening back to this, the sort of the like the, you know, the really fast moving US indie style uh, that, you know, I, I think Kazarian sort of, you know, would have kind of come up with and cut his teeth on, you know, whatever it was, 2022 years ago or or something like that. So a really enjoyable match. I mean, there's a minor nitpick at one point. You had Tager, uh, Hager taking swings at Kazarian in full view of Aubrey uh, well before Jericho was in any trouble. So I was sort of thinking like, okay, what's what's the play here? This is just going to be a DQ if he makes contact. Um, but yeah, moving towards the, the the dissension within the inner circle, I was, I mean, it was, it was very good stuff. And I think that it this this ultimatum uh, thing that we're going to get next week should be interesting, but I was a little bit surprised that we went so quickly to that after, uh, as we were saying last week. Way we kind of had this like, hey, these are the kind of the glory days. Everybody is like, you know, kind of more or less working on the same page and firing on all cylinders as this big sort of uh, kind of monster unit that the inner circle has become uh, with the new additions there. So I thought we might kind of kind of keep them uh, kind of cruising and having everything be copacetic and functional with the inner circle for a little bit longer i mean at least it seems to me like it, it, it's entirely possible that we just continue to get this sort of push and pull like every mm-hmm. two weeks you know um and the ultimatum ends up being something that gets them working together stronger than ever because i too feel like it's a little too soon to suddenly just you know cause any sort of major breakup after just getting the team together with that las vegas thing of course so i i really just think it's another excuse for them to have another one of these you know, outside of the of like non wrestling segments that the inner circle have just been fantastic mm-hmm. in, in doing over the next several weeks. And, and just the titling of these segments too is enough to like really just kind of make you remember exactly what these are supposed to be or, or like what, what they were, you know, the dinner debonair, um, inner circle take Vegas or like, what am I forgetting? Like some, some of these other, Oh, there's the debate. The, the debate. uh, yep. Yeah, and this week... Or the town hall. I think they called it a town hall, but yeah. Town hall, sure. And the next week, it's going to be the inner circle ultimatum. So I, I look forward to seeing what they're doing. The match itself, I, I thought it was okay. You know, really wasn't, I think, all that memorable, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I think much of that because they were really doing it to set up a lot of the angles coming out of it. So we have Alex Marvez in the back with the Young Bucks. Um, I think Nick Jackson here was just trying to point out the kind of like awkwardness of like standing next to Alex, Alex Marvez after they super kicked him recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just a slight me- reference made to it as the bucks go on to say that they're fighting champions. They have a match with TH2 next week. And if TH2 beats them next week in the non-title match, they'll get a shot in walks the acclaimed. They've got something to say about the bucks new book. And we have Max Caster who does a rap rapping gimmick. Uh, he starts making fun of the book cover uh, as many people have where the young bucks are looking at looking down at something. Um, so he's making fun of them looking at each other's junks. Matt Jackson says, didn't somebody already do this rapping gimmick and income TH two from behind with a sneak attack as the acclaim starts shouting world star in the background. <laughs> SCU coming for the save. And we have our official dynamite debut for the acclaimed. Yeah. I, Caster has been sort of, I think, field testing the kind of off the dome improvised uh, raps 
in a couple of segments on dark over the last little while. So I guess this was maybe sort of what that was uh, practice or training for here. He maybe seemed a little bit more nervous or apprehensive than he has been on dark. Uh, but, you know, it, it still is, you know, it, it's on brand in terms of how, how the team is being presented right now. And it gets them in the mix. I have to admit, I mean, I'm always, you know, super critical of, of this when this has happened on, you know, main roster WWE or whatever it might be. I'm just not a fan of the, well, if you beat the champion once, then you'll get a chance to beat the champion again in a title match. They sort of tried to explain this by, you know, uh, I, I don't remember if it was Nick or Matt sort of saying, okay, yeah, Hybrid 2 don't have the win-loss record to merit a, a title match yet, but we'll give them, you know, kind of an exhibition match uh, to sort of see where they're at. You know, I mean, uh, that that tracks in terms of a logical way of getting, you know, the Hybrid 2 into the mix there. But I've just never been a fan of the, well, you know, the champions have been beaten once. Why didn't they lose their title or titles? I, I, I don't know. It's a minor quibble. It seems to be a way to just add some stakes to a non-title match, you know, that they have to do for TV just to maybe perhaps mm. full time. So it's um, I, I I don't have as much of an issue with it as long as I, I think you get to a finish in a creative way, perhaps. Um, I, There are some instances where like challengers are so hot that you just want to see them get title shots without having to go through the, you know, the, the, the thing mm. that they've really set up with these rankings, which can work against them sometimes is TH2, that type of team, not exactly sure. Um, but nonetheless, they seem to be giving a bit more spotlight for the two of them uh, next week. But I also look forward to seeing more of the Acclaimed. You know, um, they seem like they're hinting at some sort of like team up between the Acclaimed working with TH2 to create this sort of sneak attack. So more from those two in the future. Britt Baker versus legit Layla Hirsch is up next. Baker in a little promo says... Outsiders like Thunder Rosa don't belong in the AEW women's division. She said, tonight winter is coming, and so is Layla's one-way ticket back to Russia. Early on, Layla controls Baker on the ground. Baker gets out of a cross arm breaker by apparently reaching in and grabbing at one of Layla's teeth. Uh, didn't really see it myself, but the announcers were pointing it out. She controls throughout the commercial. Hirsch delivers a suicide dive as Britt pulls Reba in the way to save herself. Back in, Hirsch hits a knee and another cross-arm breaker. Baker transitions into the lockjaw, but Hirsch reverses again back into the armbar. Reba distracts, allowing Baker to regain control. She hits her twisting neck breaker and then the lockjaw, no glove this time, giving Britt Baker the victory. And immediately as the bell sounds, Thunder Rosa comes into attack as Hirsch suplexes Reba. And again, uh, the agents pull them all apart. And think? we now had enough uh, enough people in the crowd to get the the Jerry chant going for Jerry Lynn as well. Huh, right. Um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty you know I mean it's a tune up warm up match uh, for Baker right to kind of get her back into this 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 feud with Rosa. I mean I think it's been a month and a half two months since Baker's had a, an actual match on Dynamite here. Um, I think the fact that you sort of had each of them playing for their respective submissions made for a nice through line for the match, right? That was sort of, you know, the question was whether each of them would be able to kind of get the other in a position to be able to throw on the arm bar uh, or throw on the mandible claw or, you know, uh, or sorry, I, I can't remember Britt's name for it there. Lockjaw. The, the lockjaw, thank you. Um, so, you know, I think even though, you know, I, I don't know that, 
you know, we'll be seeing a, a huge amount of Hirsch on Dynamite in the short term. You know, they did, the match did a good job of setting up her armbar, uh, you know, as a, as a legitimate threat, a legitimate finisher there. Also, I don't know if you noticed this way, but there was an outside-the-ring spot where Britt went for a sling blade, and she basically couldn't jump because if she had jumped, she wouldn't have been able to execute the move on someone as short as Hirsch is in comparison to her. So it was a very oddly executed sling blade. Interesting, interesting defense for the sling blade. Be short. Um, yeah, I, I continue to really like Layla Hirsch's presence in the division. She's somebody who wrestles a very different style and a style that I think is very needed. Um, just, in, just I don't know. She's at least memorable, you know, in the mm-hmm. division, which is more than I can say. She's seasoned, which is more than I can say for a lot of other women in the division as well. So I don't know really what her contract status is at the moment, but I her- I hope that she sticks around. Um, because I definitely see a, a big role for her in the AEW women's division, more so than NXT, uh, that, at, at least. Mm-hmm. So uh, we go up next to Darby Allen and Cody taking on Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. The match starts, and we immediately go to a non-picture-in-picture commercial, so we come back. Cody is making eyes at Taz as the announcers debate whether Taz was justified for choking out Cody last week after Cody brought brought up Taz's son Hook in uh, in his promo. Hobbs just simply ragdolls Co- Darby all around the floor. He and Starks pull Darby by his limbs to lift him into the air before letting him fall back down. I actually quite enjoyed JR's commentary tonight, uh, in particular, t- particular in moments like these where he was promoting somebody like Will Hobbs, shouting a lot of his stats and putting over his physicality. You can tell, like, Will Hobbs is a character and a wrestler that JR absolutely loves. High school football record right there, right at the right at the ready. All the statistics, which I have to admit, went completely over my head, but sounded impressive. And hey, that's what matters. You just mentioned numbers, like big numbers, you know, and then uh, like letters after those numbers. And I'm like, I, bu- I buy it. That sounds <laughs> Hobbs just continues to destroy Darby, throwing him around. Cody finally takes a hot tag. He throws his belt into the crowd. Then he goes for the Cody cutter on Ricky Starks. At this point, Darby tags himself in. Coffin drop to Starks gives the baby faces the win at 11 minutes and 30 seconds. I thought the match did a great job of making Hobbs look very impressive with Darby just simply being a, a fantastic like carcass yeah. for him to toss around. Um, I can't really say I was like that enthralled by the match itself. In fact, I thought there were moments that were maybe just a eh, a kind of boring, quite honestly, for like a Darby Allen Cody Rhodes match. Didn't really completely maintain my attention, but I thought the overall objective was achieved. I actually really enjoyed the in ring here in the sense that it it felt like they were going for a very classic each team trying to cut the ring in half and, you know, do quick tags in, uh, you know, to keep the heat on whoever they had under control at any particular moment. And then the ways by which, you know, whoever was in peril at that time would get out and make the hot tag. Or, you know, if they wouldn't, you know, there's the, there was a spot with Darby crawling back to Cody Hobbs, you know, stepping on, uh, you know, Darby's back and just kind of glaring down Cody. And even at one point dropping, doing pushups and flipping in the bird as the callback to Cody's whole sort of, you know, cocky pushups in the, in the, in the middle of, the ring there um so i i enjoyed it kind of at um at at a sort of tag team strategic sort of level and also continuing uh this story that you've commented on way where we're really seeing a lot of like tag team chemistry between cody and darby and i think that nicely paid off with the finish right with one of them setting the other up for you know a a big impressive finishing move with the coffin drop the the talk of this match however will be everything that comes afterwards because we have 
Power helps Hobbs continuing to attack Darby, which uh, makes Arn want to come in. He's actually getting physical. He's trying to attack Hobbs, pulling him off of Darby Allen. And then they they lay Arn out. Dustin comes in. Brian Cage comes in. The heels and Team Taz end up standing tall. And as Hobbs is about to attack Cody with the FTW title, the lights go out. A video depicting winter storms in nature appears. And it's the man called Sting. Sting appears in AEW. They uh, the announcers promote that it has been 18 years since Sting has appeared on TNT. He's at least like from the lighting, or at least like from the way it appeared, he's got now slightly more grayish hair than he has in the past. Otherwise, he pretty much is dressed exactly the same as the last time we saw him in the WWE. He walks down to the ring with his bat, stares down Arn who looks like he's seen a ghost, stares down Dustin, Cody, and finally, Darby Allen, who, man, Darby might have not been conscious, like, the last time Sting, like, wrestled on TNT. Um, But anyway, here we go. Sting, what'd you think? I have to admit here that, you know, kind of growing up in a relatively, you know, kind of in a WCW, like, desert, and never really having encountered uh someone like sting in their original run and only really becoming aware of it once you know the nwo stuff uh really kicks off this was not a big nostalgic pop for me obviously uh you know i'm very happy for folks like nate milton and everybody else uh you know in the area that uh you know that that aew is really working with who obviously are going to have a tremendous amount of nostalgia and affinity uh for sting that said i have to admit that Based on his last run in the WWE, which was five years ago, it's been five years since that match with Rollins. I don't know that there are any, you know, I mean, you could call them dream matches, obviously, you know, Sting versus Kenny Omega. Wow, you know, whatever. You could call them dream matches, but I just don't know how he could be expected to deliver on any of those, on those promises or on those dream sort of match scenarios you know, given, you know, the, the sort of the physical state of Sting that we saw in those in that last WWE run, you know, with uh, those matches with Triple H and Rollins getting injured off of the buckle bomb there. I mean, you know, we, we, we just spent all this time sort of talking about, you know, oh, did, uh, did you know, The Undertaker's very, 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 very long goodbye perhaps tarnish his legacy in some sort of way. Sting is five years older than The Undertaker is. His career started two years earlier than The Undertaker's did. Obviously, he's in he's in better shape than Taker has been for the last little while. But still, uh, I, I mean, I hate to be a wet blanket on this, but I, I just Sting in ring in 2020 or 2021 just is not a, a draw for me. I would be a lot less optimistic about all this if Sting was coming out here and like in the main event slot you know, after Kenny wins, like Sting comes out here and challenges Kenny Omega for a, a championship match. This is not that, you know, and I think part of this, part of my optimism is because AEW has shown to me that they know how to effectively use their legends without overshadowing their current generation, nor exposing the limitations of the people past their physical prime. At most, if Sting is going to do anything in ring, I can see him being in a tag situation with Darby Allen. Um, I too have my concerns that, you know, the man might bite off more than he can chew, but I have confidence that like Tony Khan will recognize those limitations and won't put him in a one-on-one match in the main event, for instance, 
it seems at least like he's, um, you know, from this segment, associated him, himself both with the Darby, w- with the Nightmare family, but uh, perhaps even more so in Darby Allen. And I, I really like the pairing of these two. You know, you have, first of all, you have two generations of face painters, okay? <laughs> so anytime you have two people who use the same type of face paint, it's like natural, you know, to put them together. And, of course, Sting, perhaps acting as a new mentor for Darby Allen, the guy who sits up in the rafters uh, mm-hmm. like he used to do. Uh, so this was probably in the works for several weeks. Darby now finally has a friend to sit with him up there. So that's a great thing. But um, I also have to say, like, this was, like, well, I would say one of the rare instances of, like, AEW resorting to sort of, like, the classic, you know, WWE yeah. bringing a nostalgic act without anybody noting, knowing type of thing. And from what I've seen, like, Fightful actually, uh, you know, on Fightful Select reported that... um from what the talents they've spoken to a lot of them were not aware at all that sting was here and that they were as as surprised as as anybody watching the show that he was present so they did a great job i would say of keeping this thing a secret because i didn't see any buzz for it any sort of like inclination online that sting was going to be be anywhere near aew tonight um and i also think that the entrance was really well done i love the snow motif it really fits like sting's very silent cold demeanor very well and gave him sort of this like taker like level of spectacle you know yeah yeah definitely i was kind of getting like you know kind of norwegian i mean black metal sort of vibes off of the beginning of it there uh so yeah the actual presentation of it i thought uh was really good and yeah there i did i certainly you know didn't see any buzz or anything about it i think tony khan tweeted out two or three minutes before Sting came out sort of a oh you're going to want to change the channel or you're going to want to see this winter is here something something to that effect um but yeah no the, if if we're talking about Sting in a limited role as a kind of you know senpai to Darby or something like that sure sure that 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 could be interesting so if if this version of Sting is winter then that means when summer arrives we're going to get surfer sting <laughs> we have to <laughs> Oh, surfs up! Oh boy, surfs Classic. up! Be- Classic. Uh, ba- bash at the beach? Are you kidding me? Yes, there we go. There we go. Oh, what do they call it? What? Are the, what is it? Uh, they're calling it this year. Uh, beach break. Beach break. Mm-hmm. Surfer Sting, please, please. <laughs> uh, and the announcers, of course, uh, inform us that Sting has actually signed a multi-year contract with AEW. So plenty of time for all the incarnations of Sting, Joker Sting, Surfer Sting. Bring it all back, please. <laughs> Next week, we've got a pretty full lineup that they've already announced here mid-show. we got the Bucks taking on TH2, Orange Cassidy versus MJF, the Inner Circle Ultimatum, uh, Dustin Rhodes versus 10 of the Dark Order, FTR making their return, taking on the Varsity Blondes, which are Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr., Abaddon will be in action, Lance Archer and the Lucha Bros taking on Kingston Butcher and the Blade, and Sting will speak. So, uh, you know, a full show already promoted a week ahead. We see Alex Marvez speaking in the back with Hikaru Shida. Hikaru Shida is asked about Abaddon, and she acts as if she's not afraid of her. She says, Abaddon is just a girl doing cosplay. I do cosplay sometimes. We hear some rattling in the background as Hikaru Shida looks shaken. And then she pulls a Sid Vicious by asking to redo the promo again. And Marvez tells her, we're live, pal. So she leaves. Um, what did you think of the segment? I mean, yeah, I was thinking as it was happening, I was like, wow, this, you know, the bacon number on Sheeta and Sid Vicious now being, you know, zero is, is very strange. Not two names I ever would have thought in, in connection with one another. This is, um, 
this kind of speaks to the the damned if you do, damned if you don't, or paradox that we were talking about last week, with on the one hand wanting more uh, character development from Hikaru Shida as the AEW women's champion, right? Wanting to get a sense of what her matches and what her defenses and what the title means to her at an individual level and what these fights with individual competitors mean to her, uh, you know, uh, to her in particular. And that's great. Like, I want to see more of that. But as we were sort of hinting at last week, you do sort of are entering into a tricky kind of walking a thin tightrope when you have, you know, an ostensible, uh, you know, proud fighting champion babyface being spooked by, you know, things that go bump in the night, somebody doing zombie cosplayer or whatever it might be, right? The fact that you had Sheeta sort of like, you know, shirking out of the way, you know, to, to, to go and hide under the bed or whatever because she heard a loud noise. I mean, yeah, it gives the match a hook, obviously, but does it, you know, paint Sheeta into, uh, you know, vulnerable or cowering of a light to take her seriously afterwards? If she does, you know, presumably defeat Abaddon here, maybe it gives her enough, you know, maybe that gives her some tension, something to fight against, right? I have to overcome my fears and face this person. She's just, you know, a woman wearing makeup and that's it, you know, but in the short term, I'm not really sure how to feel about this presentation of Sheeta. I think I, I, I look at the overall positive in here, and it's that we finally have an actual story for Akarushita, something we can get invested in, a, a chance for her to show any emotion, honestly, beyond, like, I'm going to work really hard in this match. Like, this was her showing something that I think is at least a bit more interesting. Um, the acting here was certainly not the best in the world, but I can't imagine myself doing any better if I had to act scared in Japanese. You know, so I think especially for somebody who, from all accounts, didn't really speak a whole lot of English before working for this company, I de- I definitely think she's come a long way. She's in, at a at a point now where she's ready to, I would say she was probably ready even earlier, but um, they're giving her a lot more to do as a character. So it's all in service of, I think, you know, making Abaddon seem like a big deal. And it's, it's, it's a story I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of, especially on, on Abaddon's side, who I think... I mean, the act is already perfect as it is. So we uh, up next have John Moxley talking to us. He says, two years ago, AEW was just an idea. He took his hand and bitch slapped the entire industry in the mouth. He and Kenny were destined to be rivals. They both want to be the best wrestler in the world. The only thing left to do tonight is to go out there and make them go absolutely banana. Which is, of course, a very nice subtle tribute to Pat Patterson, who someone uh, would apparently always omit the S out of um, words. And uh, someone also incredibly well-liked to, by everybody who w- probably worked with him. So a nice little tribute here from Mox. Yeah, it was very sweet. Don Callis joins commentary once again for our main event. He is keyed as Impact Wrestling Executive Vice President. Were you aware if he was last time? They said they had him. I mean, they certainly introduced him as Impact's Don Callis. I can't remember if it just said Don Callis or if it had the Impact credit on the Chiron when they had him on last time. But they weren't shying away from it, um, no. you know, no. at, at all. They, I mean, there was, you know, there were so many references. You know, once again, uh, you know, AEW seems to be open for business. There was a lot of references to all sorts of other matches, other companies, you know, people's work in in. In, in other places other than AEW, which again I think is is something that 
the you know the audience that I think AEW is shooting for appreciates, right? You know, respects the fact that yeah, most of us know who Don Callis is, and if we don't, we should be informed as to the fact that oh right, this guy is a, is a big deal uh, at one of the other wrestling companies. I think the idea that they would key him as you know Impact Wrestling Executive Vice President to me was wasn't really any sort of surprise. Like they make mention of you know New Japan Pro Wrestling all the time when discussing. Like they were talking about Okada here mm-hmm. uh, winning the G1 IWGP Championship and all that. So like talking about outside promotions is nothing new for AEW. I don't know of how many of us would have expected how far they would go with the outside <laughs> promotion by the end of this match. So Callis is here again by request of Kenny Omega. He's essentially like Kenny Omega's personal commentator. And he's really just kind of here to give Kenny Omega facts, which he does a great job at. Uh, but he's not exactly playing heel at all. It's not like he's cheering against, you know, John Moxley. He is just somebody who knows a lot about Kenny Omega and is only speaking up really when Kenny is sort of like on the offensive. Um, so we have our main event, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega for the AEW Championship. It is the biggest match AEW has ever presented on live TV. Kenny Omega has held the title 16 times, 11 straight wins, 33 wins, which is more than anybody on the roster. He has launched a new supplement line, and he was raised 1,760 miles northwest of North Carolina. And it was really cute because, like, the audience here, you know, uh, even 1,000 of them, they could be heard faintly yelling along to North Carolina. So that thing is as over right now as, a, uh, as you would expect. The match itself starts exactly at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And earlier in the day, Tony Khan announced that TNT, or earlier in the week, I should say, Tony Khan announced that TNT will be going with the match past the 10 o'clock hour. And whether or not that was true, simply saying that it's it's possible really helps somebody yeah. suspend their disbelief. Yeah, I mean, you and I spent five minutes last week talking about the question of where this match would be placed in the card and you know how that uh, would or would not indicate to us what might be happening in the match there it's things like that i mean i i really you know i really try to not when i'm talking about the positives of AEW you know compare it uh, you know to the WWE or or whatnot um you know, it's really nice to just know that those things are being taken into consideration and are being addressed in storyline uh, on camera, right? That there's a recognition that, yes, this is a very big, important match. We've arranged for time to go long. Uh, if need be, it can go the whole 60 minutes. That's a possibility. Um, you know, that sort of care that goes into what is, you know, definitely the biggest TV match they've ever had. And it's and it's a title match. It should mean something. It should matter. You know, you compare that to the fact that, you know, you were saying off the top, the, the discussion that John and Dave uh, Meltzer were having, both of them sort of acknowledging, right, it doesn't really matter to anyone within the WWE, the fans, the wrestlers, the, the bookers, whether someone like Kevin Owens has lost two clean matches in a row to mid-card towns before being shoved into the main event uh, program with Roman Reigns the next week. That's not the way it, things work there. The fact that so much time went into thinking about the pacing and placement of this match just really helped me with it. Just, just, just made me feel like I wasn't being treated like an idiot. There's a lot of brawling to start outside of the ring for our first segment. We come back from a commercial break. Kenny Omega starts targeting John Moxley's knee, drop kicking it as it's great fine in the rope, locking on a knee bar. Mox counters the you can't escape with several suplexes here. First hitting him with a couple Germans, then hitting him with a wrist clutch exploder, then an Xplex for two. A lot of suplexes for Moxley. Uh, during another commercial break, he locks Kenny in the crossface, continuing to target Kenny's head and neck. 
back from commercial, Kenny finally hits the Terminator dive. He jumps back in with the springboard as Mox intercepts him with a kick to the gut and a paradigm shift, although it's non-elevated. Instead of going for the cover, Mox goes to the floor, grabs a pair of steel chairs, comes back to the ring, and threatens to break the gentleman's agreement by setting up both chairs, inviting Kenny to sit down with him. He's not going to attack him with the chairs. He simply wants Kenny to sit down and tells Kenny, hit me. So the two of them are seated face to face, and they just start slapping and punching each other while the both of them are seated like they are about to, you know, eat a meal. Kenny gets up, hits a V-trigger, Snapdragon, more V-triggers, and then a final attempt at a V-trigger is countered by Moxley's King Kong Lariat. Moxley hits Kenny with a lifting paradigm shift this time. Kenny kicks out at two, rolling out of the ring. Mox goes for a suicide dive, and Omega counters with a V-trigger in midair right into John Moxley's face, sending him crashing to the floor. It looked really accurate and really painful. <laughs> yeah. more, more V-triggers in the ring as Kenny hits the Tiger Driver 98 for a two-count. Kenny goes for the one-winged angel. As Moxley escapes, he tries to hit his bully choke. Kenny then counters a charging Moxley with an Okada-like jumping dropkick. He then does the Rainmaker pose Ooh. and then attempts a ripcord V-trigger with the wrist clutch before Moxley escapes. Omega hits Kreutz Wrath. Then Omega goes up top but loses balance. Moxley follows him to the outside and delivers a paradigm shift to Kenny onto the concrete right into a set of heaters propped up ringside. The referee calls for the doctor to check on Kenny with four minutes left in the broadcast. At this point, Don Callis leaves the desk to check on his friend Kenny Omega. The announcers also put Don over as sort of somebody who's grown up with Kenny is sort of like an uncle to him. So Moxley then pulls the referees aside and pulls medical away, bringing Kenny back into the ring where he continues the ground and pound. Don, at this point, is still lurking ringside. He has a microphone that he's struggling to use to get the ref's attention. Mox ultimately decks Don ringside, leaving the microphone lying ringside. Kenny Omega grabs it, and with the referee distracted, Kenny hits Mox with the microphone, busting John Moxley open. We get four more V-triggers from Kenny, and then the one-winged angel. For the one, two, and three. We have a brand new AEW champion in Kenny Omega. A match that took about 28 minutes in the broadcast. Hey, conveniently at 9.58 p.m. Look at that. They didn't even need to go into overtime. What did you think of the match itself? Um, I have mixed feelings about the the finish, I suppose. If I, it, it's kind of backwards to start there. Um it's it, it's obviously the the ending of this was you know heavily heavily booked with all sorts of things uh, spinning out of it, um, you know if if we're talking about that as you know the end of a of a you know pay per view title match maybe it's a bit disappointing but as the end of a TV match I, it you know that is meant to lead you on to something else uh, I do think it it makes a lot of sense the actual match itself I really really liked um, I enjoyed the 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 thread in the first uh, I don't know ten fifteen minutes of Moxley being really, really aware of all of the basic moves, uh, the moveset that Kenny is always dropping out, you know, the, the Terminator dives, 
uh, you know, all of that. The V triggers him being ready to counter uh, every single one of those things. And I think the commentary was like tying that in with like, oh, this is, you know, what he's learned, you know, training with Couture uh, and, and everything like that. And then we had, you know, the story of uh, Kenny specifically targeting the knee, trying to maybe get out of, uh, you know, his usual workflow. And then that sort of, I thought, nicely played into the finish, right? The fact that, you know, maybe Kenny is thinking, right, he has, you know, he's already sort of been able to struggle out uh, of the one winged angel. I need this extra something I need, uh, to, you know, to kind of get Don in here and win uh, by heinous sorts of means. Um, so yeah, the actual, you know, kind of, kind of had a classic, you know, long form uh, Omega Okada sort of build, right, in which it sort of starts slow, uh, you know, with a lot of, uh, you know, kind of brawling and whatnot, uh, and, and not really building to that uh, intense speed. But once we got to the last 10 minutes of this, I thought this was just really, really snapping and firing on all cylinders, you know, just some great counters, reversals, uh, and, and really fast sequences happening in the last little bit. So yeah, ultimately, uh, very happy with the match. I, I enjoyed the match a whole lot too. Uh, and I think it's important that you bring up the distinction between a TV match and a pay-per-view main, yep. main event. I agree that if you kind of went off a pay-per-view, perhaps with, with uh, an ending like this, you might see a lot more, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, outrage about it. But I think for TV, it's it's a really perfect finish. Um, and I, like, I don't really get so mad at like cheating bullshit finishes, especially because AEW does them relatively rarely. And all, you know, at least in this fashion, and and also because this was done with the purpose of a major plot point in that Kenny yeah. Omega has finally turned full on heel, or at least you think. I mean, actually, there's no question about it. He's turned on full heel because he grabbed the microphone and used it on John Moxley. It was he was the guy who asked for the gentleman's agreement and mm-hmm. ended up being the one who cheated. So there is nothing noble, nothing justifiable. It's not even like Don Callis. Like the the announcers were kind of pinning it on Don Callis afterwards, saying like, "Oh man, this guy's this guy's a cheat," you know, or this guy, uh, like almost kind of citing that he's influenced Kenny in a negative way. But Kenny did it, you know. Like he so so for that reason, I like the finish because it it was a very significant storyline moment mm-hmm. for the Kenny Omega character. Um, and the match itself, I thought was every bit as satisfying of a straightforward wrestling match as I think you would have expected from these two. Uh, it's a, it's a great way of setting up a, a rematch between the two of them afterwards. So afterwards we have Callis and Kenny immediately leaving. You know, this is like uh, Earl Hebner after Survivor Series 1997, <laughs> just immediately leaving Tony Khan, Jerry Lynn, everybody that they see backstage, everybody is yelling at him. The announcers are calling it bullshit. They're calling it a screw job. Alex Marvez chases them down for a comment as Don Callis says, you'll find out on Tuesday. Marvez says, on Dark? No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't even reference Dark. Marvez says, but Dynamite is on Wednesday. Don Callis says, you'll find out Tuesday on Impact Wrestling on Access TV. So our first real bit of co-promotion uh, story here between Impact Wrestling and and AEW involving Kenny Omega, the new AEW champion. What did you think of all this? I was, I mean, the fact that, you know, Sting showing up on a wrestling show in 2020 might not have been the most shocking thing to come out of uh, an episode of Dynamite is pretty remarkable. Obviously, we've seen lots of um, NWA talent showing up on Dynamite and on Dark, you know, and as we've talked about, I think there are reasons for that in terms of some of these people being released, some of them, you know, kind of having, uh, you know, 
their, their state with NWA being uncertain uh, and, and whatnot. And it makes sense for, you know, a company that isn't really doing business right now. Uh, and, you know, we saw a bunch of references to, you know, New Japan. I mean, Kenny, I mean, <laughs> this was pretty clever of Kenny a couple of weeks ago in a Sports Illustrated interview sort of saying, ah, yeah, you know, I want to like distinguish myself from that period of my career. I'm not comparing myself to the NJPW period of my career. And then boom, you know, making these, you know, kind of, uh, you know, overt, overt, you know, thumbing of his nose Rainmaker at, at Okada, Rainmaker pose, Ripcord V trigger, the dropkick, all of that, right? That's that's obviously there for a reason. Hell, he was even the the vest that he came out wearing was the one that has the Omega with the Golden Star logo uh, overlaid over top of it as well. Um, so obviously that's still in play. But then to have you know being openly told we're doing crossover television in which our champion is going to be appearing on another promotions television show to explain why uh he, he's in cahoots with don Callis and all, all of this i was absolutely you know certainly not expecting that after the sting thing i thought okay great we'll get it we'll get a match and that'll be that uh I, I I really don't know what to say. Uh, it, I mean, it's almost happened so fast that I don't even, I'm not sure that I have any, um, you know, well-developed plans or, or, or thoughts as, or anticipation as to how this might play out. We were talking earlier with Andrew Thompson about, you know, perhaps sort of like, at least in my mind, like the, the, the plate of wrestling that's available for, for your current wrestling fan to choose from with, you know, AEW, like NXT, WWE, maybe existing in the top tier and then everything below it. Uh, and among them, Impact Wrestling. And so, to me, Impact Wrestling has been a show that's been struggling to attain relevance for a long, long time. We have not had an Impact Wrestling that has been more relevant than, you know, at this particular moment with Don Callis simply saying, find out on Tuesday, Impact Wrestling on Access TV for Kenny Omega, for our heel promo explaining why Kenny Omega turned heel. Like, that is, first of all, like... Something that typically would be saved for, you know, like your next week's edition of 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 uh, AEW Dynamite. So I certainly do, wouldn't expect some, didn't expect something like this from AEW letting their guy go to another t- uh, promotion show to deliver his first speech after winning a championship, turning heel. That's a major moment. So it tells me that AEW you know, first of all, is probably incredibly confident in their position in the professional wrestling landscape. It also tells me that they probably are um, very confident that a working relationship with an outside company like Impact will ultimately be beneficial for everybody, including themselves. And it also tells me that they probably have something really long-term planned for, you know, this this thing with Impact Wrestling. And it's not just going to be a quick little thing that extinguishes itself. I also wonder, like... Were were plans always with Impact Wrestling, I suppose, with like Kenny? Like, I have to imagine the, you know, Tony Khan has alluded to this, that he he is open to a working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're in December. You know, could this have possibly been a New Japan spot? Uh, Obviously, that brings in about way more challenges um, with travel and everything. But it just makes me wonder, you know, and all the stuff with Kenta as well, uh, that's, that's been kind of dangling itself. There's there's so many moving parts here. Like, I mean, heading into this match, the fact that, you know, we were anticipating, I mean, we know that, you know, Kenny Omega is going to be wrestling at Triple Mania mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a week and a half's time. No uh, mention of that. No mention of that here. So I'm, I'm certainly after now we have a full board here, heel Kenny Omega. You have to imagine uh, that Laredo Kid defeating him will be something that AAA will will be happy to finally have uh, have accomplished. Yeah, there. I wonder if that's something they'll downplay because like Kenny has the belt. Like is that something that they they won't bring up or is it or will they continue to, you know, 
quote unquote not disrespect the wrestling audience by giving yeah i mean he's you know he's worn you know he was wearing the um the the triple mania belts or excuse me the the triple a belt rather uh when he was in his match with uh i guess it would have been with pentagon or was it with phoenix i'm sorry i don't remember uh but you know he specifically had it on to sort of uh, yeah he was specifically wearing it to rub it in his face so you know i mean win or lose I, i imagine they'll make reference to it at some point but the fact that heading into this match we were talking about that happening oh does you know kenny going to triple mania have an effect on this match is the possibility of moxley you know going to, to Wrestle Kingdom, as outlandish as it might sound, that's still hovering around there, right? The fact that you had the two main eventers in your company possibly heading out, you know, of the country to, you know, work for, uh, you know, to, to fight in title matches uh, for other promotions. This is a really, it's a really strange experience as a wrestling fan to be seeing this amount of, you know, back and forward, um between companies, you know, kind of, I mean, obviously we could, we could talk about the, you know, the WCW, you know, WWF, you know, takeover of WCW, but that was already, you know, the, the, the ink was signed, the money was, you know, the, the companies were already bought at that point. This is something very different than I can really ever remember in my lifetime of being a wrestling fan. It's strange and it's really exciting. Um, and obviously like the, the, one of the main concerns is, is that we are still in a pandemic and like how much can you really mix rosters? Uh, hopefully, everybody has taken the amount of like right amount of precautions to keep everybody safe. I I I I, I hope like AEW is is putting that kind of first and foremost, you know, before bringing in a bunch of other people into into mixing your rosters. But you're absolutely right. Like laying all that out on the table, we have the potential of several promotions in the future in 2021 working with one another. Um, we also, of course, have. The dangling threat of who attacked John Moxley still being out there. I mean, mm-hmm. does this change your mind at all about whether or not Kenny Omega might have actually been the culprit? I don't think that he will be revealed to be the actual culprit still, but this obviously puts somebody like Callus or, you know, uh, whoever Callus maybe is going to possibly reveal uh, as from, being from on impact, his team right? on impact. Exactly. Right. It'd be very easy to retcon this uh, and have just about anybody from in- impact claim credit. And whether we mm-hmm. have footage of that or not, doesn't Gallows really and Anderson are right there. They've, they've often talked about, Oh jeez, you know, I didn't even think about, th- Oh my God, we could be having a mini bullet club reunion there. Didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. Oh God, <laughs> there's a lot happening here. A lot of moving parts. Wow. It's very exciting. And um, this was a move that certainly like has brought about a great deal of discussion, not just with the title change, but with uh, the impact announcement. And of course, Sting's announcement too. So a very, very newsworthy edition of Dynamite. Uh, what, what, what would you grade um, out of 10 winter is coming? Oh boy. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I, you kind of have to like brush everything away to even get to the in-ring, but I thought the in-ring in this was, was really pretty good as well. I think I might've been uh, you know a bit higher on a couple of the matches uh, that you might be, than you might've been. Um, just for the combination of, I think, you know, good in-ring and just kind of leaving me feeling gobsmacked, I might have to go as high as a nine. And I'm, I'd like to think I'm a pretty conservative grader. So that, that's a pretty high one for me. I, do, I generally don't go that high with TV shows. I think that's a very fair grade, uh, you know, especially if you're coming out of this with, with a great deal of excitement. Certainly on a storyline level, they, they really delivered major viewing time worthwhile mm. by, by delivering a, a fantastic main event with a, you know, very um, uh, controversial and, and, and interesting uh, result. I'm going to go maybe 8 out of 10 for this one. It was a very good TV show. Uh, perhaps, like, you know, the only thing preventing it was maybe uh, 
bit more bit more of like a in-ring quality towards the bottom half of the show but you know uh everybody might differ in their opinion of that so we see right now in the post wrestling forum what you guys thought out of 10 the forum thought this show was a 7.79 we start off with adam from the street who says i was about as cold on this episode as a december night in jacksonville until sting came out it felt like it was the reason why tony shivani is on the broadcast that was a very 1998 streak he made seeing Nate Milton's favorite wrestler. Somebody check on Braden. He's been calling this for months. That is true. <laughs> Braden's been yelling about Sting for months. Damn, he willed this into existence. I was ready for Mox's reign to come to an end. When his builds and promos have been great, while his builds and promos have been great, I don't think I've enjoyed any of his matches. Besides, I now enjoy the way Justin Roberts is North Carolina much more than the amount of ends he adds to anybody named Dan. The chairs in the main event had some Brett Vince WrestleMania vibes to it. Do you guys feel like Britt Baker is the 2020 Rusev Day and that they should have pulled the trigger a while back and given her the belt? Because she's definitely not as over as she once was. She was injured during the summer. Um, I don't know if she's so much the Rusev Day. Like, even with the belt, without the right amount of opponents and development on the other yeah. side of the, the coin, I don't know how much Britt Baker would have uh, been great. Like, I also think there's a lot more room for her to... to Build that act and grow that act before taking on a title title role. What do you think? I, th- I think that the 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 time away has helped with her developing the character. Obviously, the the more comedic stuff uh, with with Tony, uh, and then the more aggressive stuff with her getting it, you know, mixing it up with Rosa and whatnot, uh, w- with Rebel in her corner there. So I think the character side of, of Brit has really been developed uh, pretty nicely here. And again, it sort of seemed like they were kind of like wanting to sort of you know, kind of blend or kind of ease, ease her back in. And I don't know if that was for injury reasons uh, or not. The fact that, you know, we, we don't need to relitigate the whole thing here, but the fact that we sort of have this, there's the NWA women's title scene and the AEW women's title scene. Uh, I think, you know, th- that sort of split or division that we're seeing right now gives her more than enough room to shine still. Uh, we go up next to MJ, uh, who says, so like, will this be one of the most talked about nights of pro wrestling since when? Yeah, got to agree with that. I thought this was a masterclass in producing wrestling TV. This was billed as a big night on TNT and night uh, and built that way. The Sting reveal genuinely popped me. Ideally, he'll put over Darby for the TNT title and have a proper safe final match on the network that he was really where he re- was really an icon. The high of the Sting reveal was fresh for the entrances of the main event, and it was smart not to squeeze another match in. At home, I was pumped and knowing that the main event was still to come and let it uh, really big build that big fight feel and it was a great match regardless of the fucked finish really highlighted for me how magical kenny and okada were because even kenny's great matches with others don't hit that level fair enough uh but still good very good an emphasis on the picture and picture made it feel important on free tv final angle will be polarizing but i feel that the announcers played so incredibly dumb about what might be happening kind of left me feeling wait are they really good they aren't really going to do this are they well nobody was hitting me over the head uh in that sense it let the angle be what it was and not make me hate it so i'm in for this car ride tuesday yeah the fact that it sort of left with this vi- incredibly chaotic feel with every Everybody just sort of being flustered and you know you and i you know two odd hours uh, after it's ended here still sort of you know kind of feeling a, a bit shell-shocked from it says something about what they were able to pull off you know i'm really curious to know um what like i don't know if impact ratings are even really get announced because i i don't I never see access really like get mentioned at all. I don't think they even make it onto the list. Like there's whatever it is, the top 100 or 200 shows. And if I recall correctly, Impact doesn't even crack that list. I, I think much of the conversation coming out of this show beyond what was on Dynamite is, do I get access yeah. on my cable channels? <laughs> like, I don't know if a, if a lot of people even are even aware, but um, I believe it's also on Twitch. 
correct? I think so. Yeah. I'm, that's, I mean, if it's not on Twitch, I'm, you know, going to be having to resort to nefarious means, I think, because, uh, yeah, I, we don't get access. Uh, there's going to be so much interest. I mean, I, I'm certainly curious to know, like, well, first, I'm curious to know how much of the two hours of impact are actually going to be devoted to this. I mean, I imagine most of it will be part of the pre-taped batch of shows that they've already done. And you might just get maybe a final segment with Callus and Kenny somewhere talking. Um, so in that sense, how many people will be sticking around for the whole show? I mean, what- whatever's taped there had better be good, or at least they better be cherry picking, you know, good stuff. Cause they're going to have more eyes on this than they've had in years. So mm-hmm. hope, hopefully there's some good stuff there to, to put their best foot forward. All right. We got an Andrew from Cape Breton who says, despite the buildup to the show, I thought it was lackluster. Everything in the first hour was all over the place. All three matches had some sort of post-match brawl. So it seemed so, so it seemed everything was repetitive. They wanted to do a pay-per-view like feel, but the first half was pretty rough. Of course, that's not what really matters. Sting came in and not only did this, but he did that as well. (laughs) Great reference. (laughs) It's an interesting name and definitely a great get for maybe casual fans who watch TNT. I'm also interested in what they're going to do with Omega and Impact Wrestling going forward. Impact is probably going to lose a lot of talent coming up, and hooking up with AEW is a great get for them. I'm not sure how this benefits AEW, though. I guess some of the extra AEW dark talent could work Impact maybe. The final match was pretty good, and the and the wrestling too wasn't too bad at the start, just poorly presented. I wish the referees weren't presented as complete idiots 6 out of 10. Yeah, do you think we get a crossover beyond Kenny Omega uh, from a to other AEW talent? I would... F- I have to feel that they'd be doing something, whether it's you know sending some of the the folks who've been featured on Dark or, or bringing po- you know folks from Impact over to to appear on Dark. If it is just a one and done, or if he is just the one hook who's over there, I mean, yeah, theoretically that could be enough. But then I think you maybe sort of almost run the risk of people sort of saying, oh, I'll just like you know I'll YouTube the Kenny segment on Wednesday morning or something mm-hmm. like that, right? If you do get a more uh, sustained uh, crossover and integration of talent, then there is something to actually get the regular Dynamite viewer, at least a portion of them, uh, to maybe be checking things out on Tuesdays. Um, over to Booyank557. Sting's entrance was really cool with the lighting of the snow. Anyone else think Ricky Stark's shoulder was up right in front of the ref? I didn't miss, I didn't see that. Good main event. Let's see where everything brings us. Raphael from North Liberty says the Dark Order helping Hangman sting on TNT and Kenny as champ makes this a 10 out of 10. AEW continues to draw me in and make me feel rewarded for being a supporter. Can't wait to watch the AEW Impact story play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy from London says, after a really good build and much anticipation, I thought that tonight delivered a very entertaining wrestling show. Sting's arrival felt very special, but the biggest talking point of the show will be those last five minutes. Callus' screw job and Omega promised for impact has me intrigued, but also has me very, very nervous. AEW have built up enough credit in the bank for me to let this play out, but I also have an awful feeling about this. Yeah, you know, uh, again, I think I think he's right that they have, you know, they've built up a rep with us. But, you know, the, these sorts of crossovers could, you know, could could uh, kind of blow up in their face. It's possible. I'm going to have to be a bit more selective, everybody. We have a lot of feedback for this particular show. So I'm going to go to Jesse uh, Monreal, who says, I never liked Sting, but clearly many do. So I'm glad they enjoyed this moment. But please tell me they're not going to put a 61-year-old Steve Borden in a match. They're not going to do that, right? I usually enjoy Dynamite, but I thought this episode was pretty disappointing, to be honest. That metal slug gimmick for Spears is profoundly stupid. It's as thick as a razor blade. How is that going to do anything? <laughs> just, well, the same way, I guess, like, um, I don't know, sticking your fingers down somebody's throat is supposed Have to Have you seen an them. Irish whip before? You know, come on. <laughs> it, it is a very old school gimmick, admittedly. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> okay. Uh, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, Mark P says, awesome second hour. Obviously, the Omega Callus closing angle is what many will be talking about. I'm assuming this isn't leading to an impact AW cross-promotional war angle. That, let's face it, wouldn't benefit AW as much at all. Yeah, definitely. Personally, I'm hoping that's something that we'll see Kenny going to impact uh, AAA, where he's scheduled to trip for Triple Mania. And who knows, maybe New Japan representing the AW championship. I'm willing to continue to put my trust in AEW, as do many others. They haven't given me a reason not to. I'm in for the ride. Yeah, I think that's that. I mean, that seems to be a common theme, uh, cropping up in these, right? This idea that they've built up some credibility and, you know, a lot of people willing to give them some rope to see how it goes. Scrum from Pro Wrestling Tees says, hey. bang, bang, what's up, gentlemen? Admittedly, this is my first time watching a full episode of Dynamite since I last attended a year ago. Uh, that surprises me, Scrum, actually. But okay, he says, this was also the first time that I could recall 12 different people at the shop all watching the show on their phones and tablets. Mm. Oh, so maybe that's why he hasn't been watching. He's working. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought the whole show was fun, and my only real complaint being the WWE finish with Don getting too involved in two back-to-back beatdowns with Britt Rosa and the scuffle after the Cody tag match. Uh, question, will we see Gallows and Anderson reunite with Kenny, and where does Mox go from here? And also, will Kenta be revealed as the tackle? A, <laughs> a lot of loose threads. But, you know, a lot of, like, great potential here. And I certainly feel like Gallows and Anderson would make perfect sense as the attackers. Mm, mm, I hadn't even thought about bringing Kent into that. A lot of a lot of threads here. You're right. Whoa, Kent, like I, an active Bullet Club member also she, attacking Oh, oh, oh that's, my God. That's almost <laughs> too much. You know, like, I can't necessarily see New Japan being like, sign off on that. Like, it's hard <laughs> for me to imagine all of this really coming together, but... It's it's so fascinating thinking about the, the forbidden door is kicked wide open here. It's all yeah. happening. Here's the person we definitely want to hear from on the feedback. Brother Nate Milton himself. Brother Ting and Brother Bruce, how do I describe tonight's edition of Dynamite? I think Willy Wonka summed it best when he said, so shines a good deed in a weary world. As devastating this year has been for so many people, there's still small pockets of happiness to be found in a dark world. Now, was this show perfect? No. But did it, did it live up to the hype? Absolutely. I could pretend like I'm here to break down matches or promos. But really, I'm just here to talk about the last hour of the show. We get a new champion, a tease for a crossover with Impact Wrestling, and the debut of the man called Sting. I was legitimately surprised to see the icon, and I can't wait to see how AEW uses someone with the reputation of Sting to build up a potential star like Darby Allen. The Callus and Omega swerve at the end also caught me by surprise, and I think it could be beneficial to both companies if there's some semblance of a relationship between AEW and Impact. All in all, it was the most fun I've had watching wrestling in months. Sorry, Raw. Give tonight's show nine team skateboardings out of ten skateboardings oh. wow fantastic <laughs> the new tag team set to <laughs> set to light the world on fire and that about does it we have a lot of feedback but unfortunately we couldn't get to every single buddy uh so it, it, please i encourage uh if you're curious to hear more reaction to this show uh go to our feedback thread right now available to all patrons at forum.postwrestling.com um bruce lord at this point I really want to thank you for taking time out of your very busy, um, you know, exam uh, essay grading schedule <laughs> right now uh, to to spend th- th- four weeks talking about AEW Dynamite with us. I, I think uh, much of the reaction from the audience has been tremendous for you. You are oh, somebody thanks. that we know we can rely on in the future to do some of these shows, and we look forward to talking to you again. But uh, in the meantime, where can people find out more about you? Um, like I've been saying uh, over the past few weeks, uh, I'm technically on Twitter at Contrasoma, C-O-N-T-R-A-S-O-M-A. Uh, like I've been saying, I'm a very light follow. I don't do a whole hell of a lot over there. Uh, and again, once again, the, the, the main sort of entity that I work with uh, is a 
music blog focusing on industrial and goth music uh, that I run with my fellow wrestling fan, Alex Kennedy, at idieudie.com. We also run a uh, a tied-in podcast called We Have a Technical. uh, That can be found on all of your usual podcasting platforms as well. That's really all I have uh, in terms of what I'm working on. But yeah, given that this will be my last little, uh, you know, spot here, moonlighting, uh, I I once again really want to extend uh, a heartfelt thanks to both Way uh, and John for letting me uh, sit in. It's been an absolute blast. I I know I've said this several times, uh, but, you know, you guys have been such a big part, not only of my, you know, day-to-day routines, uh, you know, commutes and whatnot for all of these years, uh, but also had such a hand in shaping how I think about and how I approach podcasting myself. Uh, So it's been an absolute treasure, an absolute delight. Uh, And, you know, I'm very happy uh, to be able to, as a fan of post-wrestling, to be able to hear John's thoughts on Dynamite once again, uh, where this podcast will go back to being an F podcast instead of an (laughs) F minus podcast. (laughs) Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, John will be making his return on Friday. There's a lot to catch up uh, with him about, um, including maybe, uh, just, you know, I, uh, you know what I want? I want to talk to John on Friday and him having no idea about anything that's gone on over the past two and a half weeks. Cause that would make me, that would, nothing would make me happier than to know mm-hmm. that this man actually successfully managed to unplug from, from, uh, from the wrestling world for a little bit. So, uh, we shall see where he's at. Uh, something tells me that he'll he'll be completely caught up. But anyway, uh, that'll be Friday. Available for all patrons at the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is our Patreon. This is the beginning of the month. If you choose to sign up right now, this is the perfect time. We have a lot coming up this month, uh, and a lot of our Christmas, you know, year end type of specials are going to be in the works too. We have our Xmas show coming up soon. We have our best of and worst stuff coming up in the next year or in the next month and in a little bit. We got Wrestle Kingdom coming up in January, so we're just gearing right ahead with the rest of the schedule. So, uh, Bruce, I'm sure we'll hear more from you very soon, and uh, the rest of the everybody listening, uh, I'll be talking to you Friday. Last word goes to you. Oh, to me? Oh, geez. Uh, Oh, well, God. We've been doing this to everybody. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know that I have anything uh, especially profound to say, uh, but I will encourage anybody who maybe is perhaps listening to this episode of this podcast uh, due to a review by a certain, uh, you know, AEW talent out there uh, that, you know, the, the, the extra content, the, 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 all of the bonus podcasts, all of the bonus material that you get by being uh, a Patreon backer of post-wrestling is so, 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 so very worth it. I encourage you uh, to, you know, like I was saying, I've, I've, I've kind of unplugged from main roster WWE over the past few years, and I'm a happier person for it. I encourage you to take that 10 bucks uh, and instead give it to these two fine gentlemen who are putting out uh, a much, much, much more enjoyable product uh, every, every week on the regular. Uh, so find out what MJF and so many others have found out uh, uh, that the post wrestling Patreon uh, is worth every penny that you put into it. Wonderful words. You know, I got the last word feet. <laughs>